0: The subject for the evening talk is a tear, is a dewdrop. During the day that we have spent here together, we might describe our situation of these days as opportunity to look at and explore our inner life and its manifestations and the way that it actualizes itself in the circumstances of our life. And we have seen and noticed with the passing of the hours that this manifestation of our, what we call our inner world and its demonstration shows itself in the immediacy of events which are taking place around us. And similarly with regard to those events of our life that have happened and that might happen in the future. And at times too in all of this we have wondered about what's subjective and what's objective, what's true and what's fantasy, what's real and what's unreal. And these thoughts in our, in the expansiveness of our inner life, too, at times have been revealing and showing themselves. And so, quite understandably, when we, when our normal way of thinking is showing and manifesting itself in this world, it tends to reinforce the idea of our separation, of my as a person, as an individual, separated from and distinct from the circumstances which are around me. And every time I think of my meditation, every time I think of myself, every time I think of my state of mind, of my inner life, each of those thoughts do appear to be an extra drop of confirmation of my distinction, my uniqueness, my uh, individuality from, from other human beings. And out of the, the frequency of affirmation, and, the, and the, uh, sometimes the strength and intensity of that view, we form and conclude our views about the world that we live in. And as we have spoken in the evenings here, we, we get used to the idea of me and others, me and the rest, me and the world. So used to it, that distinction, so, gets so reified through our thinking and feeling and speaking, day in and day out, we actually, out of the mo- that movement, we form the view. That's the way it is. That that is just how it is. There is me and there is the world and these are two distinctive entities and these two distinctive entities sometimes are in agreement and support each other and sometimes there is conflict between myself and the world. So used to this way of looking that it seems rather sadly for us as human beings that that distinction, the dropping away of the hardness and the, solid, the solidity of me and other seems to be the infrequent event in our life, rather than the norm. And so we've come here and we've started looking into all of that. We've been in the small groups, in the, in the hall here, and in numerous other situations, where there's been some opportunity and some reminders well maybe what i call my experience maybe is not that different from others experiences maybe that woman that man's voice those feelings his her thoughts their bodily bodily sensations their pains their their joys their pleasures and and mine, maybe the sense of that, the actual qualitative feeling of that, is um, so identical, so intimately connected we are with each other, that it's really just an idea that we're really different. That it requires from us such a, a knowledge of each other, the I, the sense of I, the sense of me, of who and what I am, and the so-called sense of you and who and what you are, is so identical, so non-different, and yet we live in the supposition of real differences between us. And sometimes we're sitting quietly in the silence of things and the quiet attitude of things. We see this idea of differences is has some relative use to it, relative validity. But perhaps there's a degree of identity with each other, such a deep sense of that, that in our appreciation of that, we can actually say that we, that we know each other because of our identicalness because we are non different because we are essentially basically fundamentally the same that it's that which allows us to relate not the differences but the, the essential sameness and sometimes we touch when we stop and we touch deeper into our to our to the feeling experience and we know that whatever the feeling experience which is revealing itself in conscious, in the moment, that countless, not, not one, not two, not occasionally, but countless numbers of human beings, in that very moment, are experiencing exactly the same feeling, the same thought, the same sensation, the same experiences taking place, just as I am experiencing it in that moment. And sometimes you get a, a, a feel for this, a, a sense for this. Sometimes the sense for that is, can be so clear and, uh, 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 and self-evident, and the real meaning of self-evident to us, that we can actually say that when I look around in this world of human beings, whoever he, she, they might be, all that I see, is in a real way none other than myself but with a different name, a different form, slightly different appearance but essentially none other than myself and it's to myself in in a, in a, in a deep intimate way, it's to myself in a way that I am relating to Sometimes when we stop and we look again at this relationship, the communication of life, and life is, is an endless symphony of communication. Sometimes we, when we touch into ourselves, we speak the language of going deeply. The thought, the thought, and it's so important, the thought will say, I am going deeply into myself and it's quite appropriate and it may never actually change that the, th- the thought which says I am going deeply into myself I am going deeply into my constructions, my conditionality, into who and what I am and the thought through the familiarity will say that to us and it's not that we're saying deny that thought or get rid of that thought but to, I think to understand that the thought which says "I am going deeply into myself" is just a thought. That's a way of thinking about what's taking place. And sometimes we see that particular thought emerge. We allow the thought to pass by, and then we say, "Actually, what am I going deeply into? Is it just I'm going just deeply into myself? Is that is that?" Just just doing that, is that just what it's all about? Or, or is it um, that I'm actually going on a journey with the consciousness and the journey into the consciousness and not going deeply into myself but something more than that it's actually and experientially going deeper into the whole question of life. It's, we're actually going deeper into the nature of things and if My experience tells me that my body, my vibrations, my cellular existence and this cellular existence and this temperature here and this temperature here and this liquid and water here and this liquid and water here and this air here and this air air there, it can't be separated from each other. It's all as it were belonging to the same material same sentient conscious material, if that's the case, then truly, there isn't a gap, and truly I'm going deeper into myself. And that means I'm going deeper into life, into the nature of things. And if I am going deeper, then my thought with its typical interpretation is going to be thought with its typical interpretation. Sometimes when we stop and we, we look and we just experience the, the physical and we, as it were, cast that, that little depth of the in, inner eye over, over ourselves, and we touch deeper spots, we touch our feeling life, and in different ways during the days of your being here and my being here, we have touched the place of, of feelings. Sometimes there's that, been that consciousness, the contact and the feeling that's the, the, the tear has come, you've experienced the tears born of being in here, the tears of memory. The tears of a, a small incident, unexpected and perhaps quite uninvited, and there's a contact and a tear has emerged, the tears have emerged. And as the Buddha c- commented so beautifully, he said, he said, do you know humanity? has shed enough tears during its journey through existence, has shed enough tears to fill all the great oceans. And sometimes we, in our relationship to life, in our experience of things, when events touch us and touch us deeply, there is the tears which come. And the, and the body does, engages us in this wonderful, inexplicable process of feelings being released and the, and the, t- tear, the tear drops from the eye. Just recently, I mentioned to you earlier in the treat, retreat, my, my father died, and on the day of the funeral, the coffin was. Uh, My father was, um, never had any interest to go to church, and he often said it would only be over his dead body, and it really was. <laughs> <laughs> and you <laughs> would appreciate if you he could hear me say that. Uh, and on the day of the funeral, the the the, the coffin was in the the, uh, the, the front of the. Uh, passageway um, in front of the altar, and my uh, mother and my uh, young daughter, Nishona, who walking up uh, the center th- through the church, and then myself and my sister behind, and uh, Guan Win, my daughter's uh, mother, and uh, my sister's uh, husband behind us. This is typical of the traditional uh, church funeral service. And we were standing in the uh, pews, in the in the front row there. And in a very touching way, my mother and my daughter were uh, holding hands. And my young daughter, who's uh, nearly nine years of age, she just she was just standing there. Well, standing there, she was holding my mother's hand. And of course, my mother, as others were, uh, very upset. And one single tear, huge tear, emerged out of the eye of my daughter and I just turned and just saw this huge tear just coming out of the eye and because she was holding my mother's hand and being as much a pillar of support for my mother as my mother was for her grandchild, my daughter didn't want to move or move her hand or do anything and so just allowed this long tear just to to roll down the eye, and right, right down off the face, and not the end of the uh, face. And, and I just turned and just watched this moment of, of this, that in the loss, and of course in the separation, the child had lost her grandfather, and my mother and I had lost as well. Yet in all of that, something of wonder, and something of beauty, and something so deep, occurring that that amidst all of the things something else which one can't can't ever explain with one's brain and with one's mind and it's something which brought depth to all that was taking place in that moment in those moments and I think it, it sometimes it's a, a pity in life and, it, and it's a, a great loss for us in human life perhaps the greatest of all losses is that that when we are just touched by events, when it is, it is of that kind of magnitude in our personal life. When, for those who have had the privilege of being at a birth, or being at a, at a death, or at a funeral of somebody as close, then sometimes we are touched and out of that does come wonder. What's it all about? And we don't have any convenient explanation. We don't have any system, any method, any technique, any answer. There is nothing that you or I can say to perhaps that—that mo- that is the most profound of all human questions: what is it all about? And sometimes, in our quietitude, and in our reflection on things, and on. The, on the the, n- the nature, the nature of things, that that thought which I mentioned that comes in, that gets used to the familiarity of the separations and the distinctions of the self, other, me and the world, that sometimes that doesn't seem quite authentic. seems to have a, a, a kind of push to it. Uh, the sheer familiarity makes one doubt whether that's what it's really like in life. It's something that we've built up for our language, for our communication. but doesn't really say the way things deeply or truly are. And sometimes we just find a little opportunity just to just to re- reflect. And you like I, every day we sometimes, if we lie down and we lie in the horizontal posture and we lie on our side and we just let let our eyes just wander over the contours of the body. And in our wandering eyes, it wanders over the contours of the body. It we, we sense that, that the connectedness with the nature of things. How the very earth is really like the contours of our body, the, the hills and the valley and the rolls and the peaks and the glens. And all that starts to reveal itself and say there's a closeness between myself as a formation of life and the very hills that I look out on. And perhaps sometimes on another occasion when the I and other thought is losing its relevance for real depth of understanding, and we look and we just put our hands to our, to our hair on our head if there's any left, or on our arm, <laughs> if you are not into shaving them or whatever it might be <laughs> and and then and we touch the the, the 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 grass of the earth, and we see the 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 similarity the the similarity in the feel the similarity in the very texture and the closeness that that shows itself we look at our we look at our we look at our arms and and we see the veins and the veins moving through the arms like the like the like the streams which move through the rivers and through the through the forests. And and the main rivers, the arteries there flowing and flowing to the heart and from the heart. And you think, My goodness, we're so we're so inseparable from the, the the world that we live in. And sometimes we see the, the experience that the, the moment of tears falling and like like the rain or the single tear of the child as she witnesses the the last visible act of respect for her grandfather has so that single tear, just just like a dewdrop in, in the morning on the blade of grass. And all these small things in life, the very flow and the rhythm of things, dissolving some of the idea of me and other and beginning to reveal and the intimacy, the very closeness, that, that the inseparableness, more than closeness, the inseparableness that we have with the world that we live in and all that's around us. And it's a pity, it's, that's what I say, it's a loss for us, if, we, if, we've, if that's a, a, just an occasional sense. It's just an occasional event in our life that we're experiencing in that deep way and the main way that we're experiencing is is of self and other and the belief and the centralization of that idea as though that is the the fact, as though it was the fact. But sometimes when we explore and we look at ourselves and, we, and we, ask our, we ask ourselves in our life but what about these difficult I- areas of life? What about sometimes the, the anger? What, what about the the, the contractions? What, what about those inner experiences in our life which are so difficult? And even here when we're caught up sometimes in those formations, and we might say, my Emotional climate is so unacceptable, the psychological climate which I get caught up in. And even here, in these areas too, it's not though we can even claim that for me and that for self. Because we look at the world that we live in and the world that we experience and we see the similarity again, the intimacy of closeness, the very language that we use. We say, today I'm feeling very bright today, very very spacious. Uh, my mind is like a, a big sky today. So I'm feeling very cloudy today. I'm or, or feeling very unsettled t- today. And the very climate, the very of language that we use, even though it, the thought says distinction and separation, reveals the way of the world, the way of the nature of things. And I wonder what what might occur if we're not giving so much substance to the thought of, oh, my mind, my state of mind, how I am and how reactive we can be to that. Suppose we're not giving the thought, putting it in like that. It might rely, we might need to rely on a kind of trust because we're taking the pressure off. We're taking the pressure off of me, taking the pressure off of my state of mind. What happens when we take the pressure off? What happens in the world when we take the pressure off? So in our looking and in our relating, and then sometimes we, we look and we say, ask ourselves, in the way that I want to live and be in the world. I see my fear, my revenge, my jealousy, my contractions, or whatever it is, is unsatisfactory. That gets communicated to us through the experience. The experience tells us that because we burn. We burn through the circumstances. And so sometimes when we stop, as we do over the days, And then we stop and we say, I I want to be free from this. I don't want to live in this kind of way. But very easily, because of the connectedness that we have in our language, in our communication, and especially in our experiences, sometimes, in the very mystery of things, what we condemn, and the way we condemn sometimes means we duplicate it. Sometimes we, it, we reproduce it. So for example, and as I was saying in a small group uh, today, yesterday evening, I was speaking at uh, CIMC, the Cambridge Insight Meditation Centre, and one person in that uh, after the evening talk, uh, asked me a question about forgiveness, and she asked about how does one forgive when something terrible has been done? How could one possibly forgive? And often in religious life, forgiveness, the the gi- a kind of giving which draws the most one, the greatest challenge is on us, when something or someone has been hurt, violated, abused, whatever, we are asked to give and that's the theme of spiritual life is forgiveness. And so when this person was asking me this question, I stopped for a moment or two to try to bring to mind a situation in my life where that Really had been drawn upon me where that to look deep into myself. And the one situation in my life which came to mind was in uh, South Africa in September 1977 when uh, a man who I consider a very wonderful man and uh, in the Eastern language a a future Buddha, and that uh, man of 30 years of age was. Steve Biko. And Steve Biko, who had done such wonderful work and dedication for the black community of South Africa, was uh, arrested, tortured, beaten up, thrown into the back of a, a Land Rover, stripped naked and driven for 700 miles from one part of South Africa to another and died during that three days of absolute brutal treatment. And, uh, and I remember knowing of Biko, reading of his writings, and this time in uh, September 77, just shocked to uh, a degree which I, uh, other situations have not felt, and that, this particular one with this remarkable young man, Biko. And so when this woman was talking to me about this particular situation, and my response and I thought that was the one that really stands out for me and I said to her I could not find forgiveness for that situation no matter how deep I looked I just could not be forgiving of the system not so much the people but the system which endorses that and, and encouraged it and thus I think at times one has to fall back on as much clarity and equanimity and dispassion in such a situation as much as one can deeply muster. But what occurs to me and perhaps to you in such circumstances where we are faced with those uh, events in our life is if out of the situation one feels rage feels aggression, feels violence, feels that one wants to get one's own back on the people who could treat such a beautiful human being so ruthlessly, one has just repeated the history. That one is, what's emerging out of one is exactly the same as what emerged out of that particular group of police and the authorities that sanctioned it. And so sometimes when we look into ourselves, into our aggression, into our rage, into our desire for revenge, whatever form of it, sometimes some of the motivation to emerge out of it is because we know the closeness to others. We know the seeds of what others can do. Certainly can be in ourselves, and we don't want to live like it. We don't want to imitate in any way that way of behavior and the ruthless, the savagery of it. Sometimes when we reflect on our closeness with each other, in the, in the difficult, unresolved circumstances of our life, and we see the outflows of that in the world, then it hopefully it inspires us to say, let me... Let me, be, let me free consciousness from all that tyrannical states of mind. So I don't add to any of that in this world that I live in. So that the intentions and the responses are, are coming not from self-interest, not from I want to do this for myself to feel better, but coming out of the recognition that a tear is a dewdrop. Sometimes we touch deep places inside of ourselves and as human beings, we have this uh, wonderful capacity for this. And in this wonderful capacity to feel very, very deeply into our being, which is to feel deeply into life, and to be touched in different ways, again, the thought comes in. And the typical thought which comes in is such that the thought gives the idea, it's important this now, gives the idea of, as it were, going back and forth almost sometimes between two states of mind. So sometimes we report to ourselves and to each other. We say, before I was experiencing this state of mind, I was content, I was peaceful, I felt steady, I felt comfortable with life, I felt secure and uh, a state of harmony and I was really in that state and it was just wonderful. It may have lasted for a moment, it may have lasted incredibly for our whole sitting and sometimes it may last through the day and days. why not? And then and said, so I was in that state, and I really felt my heart felt open. I just felt so caring towards lovers and and friends and partners and present and others, and, and a real sense of spaciousness, harmony with life, and a, a gratefulness to, for being on the earth, and, and opportunity to spend time with the sky and with the earth, the trees, the flowers, and even with human beings as well, and. <laughs> And there's sometimes that genuine depth has touched and those responses are there and the kind of self-interest, the, the thought of self-interest doesn't seem to have any relevance to this sense of expansion and, and, and uh, openness. And then we say, I experienced that, yes I know what that is, I've that, that, that I've touched that place here or other times, but then I was in it, and then I was out of it, and I lost it. And after I lost it, I was back into my stuff. My mind was doing its war dance, and my thoughts were like this, and, and then it all got all messy and confused, and I really started doubting that previous experience, Experience, and then I, I all get embroiled in that. Then that faded away, and then I was back again. It may have been, you know, a decade later, but nevertheless, <laughs> <laughs> and then there's the shift, the movement, and then one feels again that sense. And naturally, when there is that touch in that way, that openness and sometimes the tear, which is the dew drop, which is emerging amidst and through that. Through all of that, it can very easily be a kind of separation, a duality. First I had this, it arose, it stayed and it passed. Then there was a sudden or a gradual shift to the murky stuff, the, the, the muggy stuff, the unnecessary stuff or whatever then that faded, and then that was back. And it can seem like, in that that way of thinking, that one is going in and out, in and out, to varying degrees. And so sometimes we feel that when we're thinking that way, sometimes it can seem like we're very close to the depth of things and that joy and the wonder which is of the depth. And sometimes in our most pain, in our most dissatisfaction, in the darkest moments that we are experiencing, it seems like that we can be so far away. And it's like heaven is there and hell is there. I know both states and there seems to be an enormous gap between one and the other. And I seem to move between the two. And a kind of limbo uh, in between. And I wonder if that's really how it is, or whether again with the movement of thought and the idea that we have, because we're so frequently speaking of moving in and out, the very language that we use reinforces it. I'm going in the medita- into the meditation room, I'm coming out of the meditation room, I'm going into the kitchen, I'm coming out, I'm going indoors, I'm going out. We, we, we get so used to the conventional, oh I'm going into this main state, oh no I'm coming out of it. <laughs> <laughs> and this movement and shifting in and out, in and out, becomes so habitual, therefore we say that's the way it is how it is. And sometimes in our observations, in our giving total attention, we say, well, maybe let me at least have a little doubt about it. Let the doubt about that be an equivalent kind of doubt as the doubt I mentioned with regard to self and other. Let's have a a doubt about it. So that the doubt itself about that is not that we're trying to get rid of that thought." and that interpretation, we acknowledge it wholeheartedly but we acknowledge it as an interpretation not as the way things are, not as the truth of things and sometimes when we wonder and we, we have looked and we say we are looking into ourselves and we've looked deeper into that whole question of what's it all about and looking into that and into ourselves sometimes perhaps the heaven and the hell maybe they're not really separate from each other maybe in some inexplicable way that expansion, if it's truly infinite if it's truly vast, if it's truly without limits, and there's no measurement, if that's truly the case, as all spiritual and mystical teachings say, then if it's no limits and not finite and and not defined, it has to include the hell. It can't be such that we push out the difficulty, separate all of that from the storm, and the vision and wonder of life. And sometimes, I know in one's trust, in one's communication with others, and in looking into our our life, and into the depth of life, but in that looking, but sometimes even in the thick of things, as I pointed out in the talk the other evening, even in the thick of things, that somehow or other, it's as it were, what is taking place, it's in the vast process and scheme of things, and it's part of the revelation. It belongs to the vast. And when we get that sense that it belongs to the vast, something goes on with the difficulties, with the constructions, with the hassles, which takes something out of it, that it loses its substance not separate from what is vast not separate from what is deep and what is wonderful it's, it em- it's so vast it embraces all of us all of who and what we are and we get a sense for that question of working things out and resolving things and having an answer for things and all of that doesn't seem to matter quite so much Because all of it is embraced in something which leaves us filled with awe Two friends the other day, which I would, if I may, would like to uh, read uh, to you Gave uh, me a uh, prayer and a number of uh, photocopied sheets of it which will, for the uh, Heal the Earth weekend, will be uh, distributed to uh, some of those who wish for it um, at that time. And I think there's something in my sense of the widespread uh, spiritual movement that is taking place, and and it is a movement. It isn't something, I think, which is stagnant and and narrow and just self-salvation and self-interest. It's, it's something much greater and uh, uh, miraculous than that. That in the movement, in the, the spiritual movement which is taking place, those kind of themes that are speaking of self and other, the themes of the vast embracing all, the themes of I as a human being in physical terms are no different from the, the air and the earth and the flowers and the trees and the tear is the, the dewdrop. Those themes that the inner climate and the outer climate and all that reveals again and again the interrelatedness. Those themes that human beings essentially share something inexplicable and it's that sharing of that which enables us to be together. To communicate, to sh- share together and those themes of the spiritual life and exploration are beginning to show themselves in other ways as well, beginning to show themselves in other fields of activity in the scientific community, in, in the political community, in the economic community, in the social community, that something re- begins to reveal itself through consciousness and I think this prayer, amongst many ways of exploration, gives some intimation of that. And I think prayer is not to something or someone, I think prayer is a kind of heartfelt concern, a heartfelt wish in which we dig deep to draw something out of ourselves, to express something in life. This is called A Prayer of Sorrow, Healing and Gratitude. We have forgotten who we are We have alienated ourselves from the unfolding of the cosmos We have become estranged from the movements of the earth We have turned our back on the cycles of life We have sought only our own security We have exploited simply for our own ends We have distorted our knowledge We have abused our power Now the land is barren And the waters are poisoned And the air is polluted Now the forests are dying And the creatures are disappearing And humans are despairing We ask forgiveness We ask for the gift of remembering We ask for the strength to change We join with the earth and with each other to bring new life to the land, to restore the waters, to refresh the air, to renew the forests, to care for the plants, to protect the creatures, to celebrate the seas, to rejoice in the sunlight, to sing the song of the stars, To recall our destiny, to renew our spirits, to reinvigorate our bodies, to recreate the human community, to promote justice and peace, to remember our children. We join together as many and diverse expressions of one loving mystery for the healing of the earth and the renewal of all life. We live in all things, and all things live in us. We live by the sun. We move with the stars. We eat from the earth. We drink from the rain. We breathe the air. We share with the creatures. We have strength through their gifts. We depend on the forests. We have knowledge through their secrets. We have the privilege of seeing and understanding We have the responsibility of caring We have the joy of celebrating We are full of the grace of creation We are graceful We are grateful We rejoice in all life May all beings live in peace, may all beings live in harmony, may all beings in all the realms, in all the universes, live in peace and harmony.